this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll continue our discussion about medication safety in 2022. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal of Operations and Quality at Vizian and Practicing Internist. Joining me again from Vizian is Dr. Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director, and also joining me for this episode is Dr. Karina Dolan. Gretchen, welcome back. And Karina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me today. So Karina, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Vizian. Yeah, thanks. So I'm the Senior Director for Clinical Oncology and Pharmaceutical Outcomes here at Vizient. I've been with Vizient for a little over eight years, and I'm an oncology pharmacist by training. Very impressive. So Gretchen, in the last episode, we spoke about how the pandemic and types of patients contribute to medication errors. What are other factors that contribute to medication errors? Yes, absolutely. I think drug shortages are a big one. And I will tie this back to the pandemic, but it really applies to any time. Early on, we saw a lot of challenges with ICU medications for sedation, analgesia, and neuromuscular blockade, things you'd commonly see in mechanically ventilated patients. And this added to an already stressed system. Shortages have the potential to increase the number and severity of medication errors. We know this. There was a recent survey done by ISMP that showed the majority of respondents felt drug shortages compromised patient care. And also in 2019, there was a literature review that found drug shortages led to negative outcomes. And again, intuitively, this makes sense. If a drug or formulation that you are used to using is suddenly no longer available and you have to scramble to use an alternative, your typical built-in comfort level with a product is no longer there. So if there's something different about this drug or formulation, so maybe it can't be given peripherally or it's more likely to cause renal injury or maybe it has a different drug interaction profile, the clinician may not be as familiar with these risks, and this can open things up for errors to occur. Karina, how is this influencing other healthcare areas? Medication safety is vitally important to patient care, as Gretchen described. And medication safety begins with engaging all of the stakeholders across the system. So particularly in pharmacy, we've developed strategies in order to prevent medication errors. And the first is organizing pharmacy drug inventory. So this includes separating problematic drugs, putting hazardous drugs in colored bins, applying high alert stickers. And these help to ensure that the correct product is selected for preparation of the drug and that will be administered to the patients. Inventory management is another strategy that can be used to prevent medication errors, meaning that the pharmacy team identifies their preferred product by the manufacturer or by the concentration or by the vial size, and they will not deviate from that version in order to standardize the product availability. So when you retain multiple versions of the same product, and they can all have different compounding instructions and concentrations, this can increase a chance for a medication error. So inventory management is a way to help reduce that. Now, unfortunately, this method is not applicable when drug shortages occur, like Gretchen discussed. And since pharmacy is not able to select their preferred product when we have a drug shortage and we're not able to ensure which formulation that's going to be that comes to us, we're just trying to get the next dose for the patient. And one caution that we have begun to notice in oncology specifically are that multiple new formulations of legacy products are now available and they have different strengths. They have ready to use versions, which mean that they do not need to be reconstituted. And these need to be paid close attention to as there is a potential to have different concentrations and compounding instructions. And these could cause medication errors. 
And still within pharmacy, another area that can impact medication safety are medications that are delivered to pharmacies via white bagging distribution. And these medications are shipped from a payer designated pharmacy to the site where the patient is being treated. So pharmacists must pay close attention to these medications to ensure that the correct dose was received, that it was the correct drug that was received. And again, administration guidelines for nurses to help administer these drugs to the patient. Oftentimes when products are not formulary products within a health system or a hospital, they can usually not build the drug into the infusion pump library, which also helps to monitor the speed of the infusion. And that is a safety strategy that we have deployed across health systems and hospitals. Karina, you brought up a good point in the sense that I hadn't really thought of it before. And particularly with transitions of care management, if I'm transitioning a patient from one level of care to another, say from a hospital to a SNF, there could be quite a few areas where medication errors can occur there. Yes, absolutely. Cytocare, when you're transitioning medications from an ambulatory infusion clinic or to a physician-owned clinic or possibly home infusion, we need to help our nurses understand how to administer medications because it may not be a medication that they have administered in the past. And you know, Karina, Gretchen and I also spoke about in reference to errors that can occur, say, from change in renal function as our patients get older and and even more frail. Are there other patients that are vulnerable? Oncology patients can be particularly vulnerable. These are hazardous medications, and we've implemented steps over the years to help mitigate that. So we have double checks by our pharmacists and by our nursing staff. I also think pediatrics is a very vulnerable population. Those are small doses, and it could possibly come from the final vial form that's for a pediatric drug sometimes is a little bit difficult to manipulate. So I would say those are two vulnerable populations across the continuum. Are there also vulnerabilities among patients receiving immunotherapy, particularly in the oncological realm? I think the vulnerabilities for oncology patients as far as medication safety are concerned are not really particular to immunosuppressive or PD-1 or checkpoint inhibitors. I do think that oncology across the board has a high potential for vulnerability because they're all high-risk medications and hazardous medications. You know, Gretchen, we spoke in the first episode about what the current state is in reference to medication errors. What are some things that we're seeing now to mitigate them? But what do you think are some of the future states? And I'd love to hear Karina's input as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the future is bright. We have a lot to look forward to. I know everywhere I turn in the membership, in the literature, looking at the national level, there's really a renewed attention on safety. And I think that's great. One of the first things I think we'll continue to see is a focus on technology, using barcoded medication administration to leveraging our clinical decision support tools to using our automated dispensing cabinets effectively. These will all be a top priority. And I think the emphasis moving forward will be on how to do so thoughtfully to address some of the challenges like alert fatigue, which I know can be a major issue for folks. The second thing I think we'll see, our members have consistently used metrics to benchmark against themselves internally to measure their progress over time in the medication safety arena. And we're starting to hear a renewed push for being able to benchmark outside of their organizations. Now, this is something that hasn't historically been promoted for various reasons, but the concept is starting to gain traction in other areas of safety, as well as in, for example, the antimicrobial stewardship space. So I do anticipate seeing some 
movement there. Third point, which we touched on a little bit in the first episode, I think pharmacists will continue to serve in expanded roles in collaboration with all healthcare providers at all levels of patient care. And this is so critical because we know that having the medication experts actively involved in all steps of the medication use process can really mitigate that risk of error and ultimately harm. And then the last thing I'll mention before I kick it over to Karina for her thoughts is that There's been a surge of consumer awareness in this space, and I think the patient and family as their own advocate is a model we will see more of in the future, and I'm all for that. Really, anything we can do to close that gap. So, Karina, what are your thoughts about what we're going to see in the future? Well, first, I second all of the points that you just brought up. They are all fantastic points. I would like to add on to the pharmacist role. So I think what we're seeing, and especially since COVID, we are seeing a lot of movement of our transitions out to the ambulatory centers. And so as far as the pharmacist role concerning getting more pharmacists into those ambulatory centers, a lot of our large academic medical centers have begun to do this. And I think as long as we continue to press that we need more pharmacists in those ambulatory centers and those infusion centers, we can help them mitigate a lot of medication safety errors really right there at that point of care in integrating the pharmacists with the physicians and with the multidisciplinary teams and the nurse practitioners and everybody across the board. I couldn't agree with you both more. Even in the issue that I see many times, again, as our population gets older and sicker is the issue with polypharmacy and how we need to partner with our pharmacy partners on this. What about in reference to any thoughts with the importance of medication reconciliation and how that needs to be hardwired and done appropriately and accurately. I'll take this one, Gretchen. So I think medication reconciliation has been a a long labor of love. We started this many years ago by bringing in pharmacists to do medication reconciliation into the hospitals. And we've had some advancement in having advanced pharmacy technicians apply this function as well. And I do think it was helpful in that space. And I think we do need to continue to grow that work. I think medication reconciliation is important, especially in that older population as well. To your point, Tom, about polypharmacy. It's very important and it's very important that we catch either duplicate medications or medications that have possibly fallen off through transitions of care. So I think medication reconciliation is important to continue. And again, as we move our pharmacists from really not moving, but expanding pharmacists from inpatient roles into ambulatory roles, we can continue to do that medication reconciliation work on the ambulatory level as well. 100% agree with you, Karina. And I think that we continue to strive for that gold standard of having an accurate medication list. And one challenge moving forward that we need to continue to be aware of is that the community pharmacist often does not have access to the electronic health record on the acute care side. And I think that that's a gap that we will have to continue to try to close as well as we move forward past 2022. Very good point. Excellent point. Gretchen and Karina, thank you for joining us and providing an important perspective on medication errors. And to our listeners, you can contact Gretchen and Karina at the email address posted on the research section. If you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. We posted a link in our research section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.